Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off, the book of Isaiah. We've made it to chapter 20. It's a short one, it looks like. So if you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. In the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and took it. So um, it looks like historical markers are being given to us here. Isaiah is the prophet. That's who the book is named after. And it seems he's letting he's um, talking about when an invading army uh, made it there. Um, Tartan is, it turns out, a name, not a name. It's a commander-in-chief. It's a title. Uh, let's see. And Ashdod, that's been mentioned before as an area where giants were. Um and Sargon also is actually mentioned as a giant, at least someone named Sargon. Um, um, and the Assyrians are the historical invading army um, that apparently invaded and took Ashdod. Verse 2. At the same time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and remove the sackcloth from your body and take your sandals off your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. So now it seems apparently, uh, we'll just say the Lord, since that's how it reads, because God has given Isaiah a command to go streaking, that he get butt naked and uh, go about town. And Isaiah, being obedient, did it. He took off his clothes and he's walking around barefoot and naked. Verse 3, then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot, three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia. Wow. So Isaiah didn't just take off his clothes and streak through town once and then get dressed and not get arrested and say, whew, made it and got away with it. He walked around naked for three years. And in modern times, that might seem crazy, but not really. When you think about as awful as it is, some of the commercials that are um, shown about poverty that exists around the world and you see people living in hunt in huts and topless or completely naked and all sorts of terrible things happening um, to people with nothing while other people have multiple mansions planes and billions it's 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 a sick sick world that that can even exist but anyway it's uh, the prophecy it seems even though we just read in the previous chapter verse 19 that of all people, it turns out the Ethiopians are who the Lord in the Old Testament declares as the Lord's people. The Ethiopians are my people, is what it, to quote what it said in Isaiah 19. Um, and yet, I was it Egyptians, I'm sorry. Um, and now, just like that, bad omens, bad prophecies are dished out to the Lord's people. What sense does that make? Well, we're just reading it in verse Four. Oh, well, before we keep on, verse three is making it clear that Isaiah's lifestyle is a type, like it was mentioned or previously a few chapters back, that the things he's doing, the things he does in, during his life are, uh, it seems, for signs and wonders for people to see and realize the things he's doing are the things that are going to happen to them. Things he's doing are the things they're going to be doing so that Whatever it is he's uh, walking around doing, that's what's going to happen to them. 
And verse 4 is going to declare it. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. So this isn't a figurative spiritual interpretation. The prophecy is spiritual, but the literal meaning of it is just what Isaiah is doing is the same thing that's going to happen to them. They're, they're going to be walking around, but not by, um, they're going to be walking around naked, um, exposed the same way Isaiah is doing, but not by their choice like Isaiah is doing. Isaiah is doing it because he's had the divine directive to do it. But, you know, ultimately, I guess it's his choice unless he's been induced to do it. Otherwise, but the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, they're not going to do it by choice. They're going to be conquered and forced out naked and barefoot. Horrible. Verse 5, then they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and Egypt, their glory. So the prophecy is saying that once the people are conquered, captured, and taken away half naked and ashamed, then they're not going to be bragging and proud of their um, national treasures anymore, such as the pyramids in the case of Egypt or whatever else it is that Ethiopia was glorying in. It seems all of that's going to be taken down when the Assyrian invades and conquers them. And uh, historically they did, so the prophecy already came true. Verse 6, And the inhabitant of this territory will say in that day, Surely such is expectation, wherever flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? So, if you read me before, you know I've read it the way we read it, so I won't go into that again. If it's your first time reading with me, Matthew 12, 37, I'll make it clear, where Jesus makes it clear to us, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So consider that. And how verse 6 reads, if you read it out loud, and what it can mean and manifest for you. I've already considered it. That's why I read it the way it did. So, but what it's saying, though, to understand what it's saying is that it's going to be so terrible for uh, the prophecy is so bad for the Egyptians, for the Ethiopians, that when people see it happening and Ethiopians and Egyptians see it coming to pass and the Assyrian invading and conquering their countries, their nations, the people who see it, who see it are going to wonder to, them, to themselves, well, it's happened to Egypt, it's happened to Ethiopia, what hope is there for them? And it's going to seem hopeless for them with the power that the Assyrians are going to flex and did flex historically in conquering nation after nation after nation. That was the last verse so that's what we, in this portion of the reading for today, but for the passage of the day, of today, excuse me, number 17, would be from the book of Matthew, and it's Matthew 28, 19, and 20, one of my favorites, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and it reads, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.
So we'll take them verse by verse. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's what people call the Great Commission. But we as Christians are supposed to not do what they do, what these evangelicals do, but actually uh, lead people to Christ. That's what's supposed to actually be being done. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Letting us know there that I guess any Christian can baptize another person who wants to be baptized into Christianity. You know, once they confess the faith, once they have the faith, um, it's all between them and God, not the person dunking them. That's really just the person passing out the loaves and fish, the waiter. It's not the one whose energy is behind it. It's between the person being baptized and God, I believe. Um, and so when the baptism happens, Jesus is making it clear it's to be in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Um, um, he didn't say, by the way, any of the YHWH, YHVH variations. He didn't say any of those. He just said the Father. He didn't say his name. He didn't say in the name of Jesus or Yeshua or Jesus. He didn't say any of those names. He said the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, simplifying it, I think. Um, and so also mentioning the baptism. So I think there, because he tells us and shows us the example of himself being baptized, Jesus that is. But he also showed us the example that it's not a necessity, necessity to be baptized when he uh, granted salvation to the uh, person who was hanged alongside him on the cross, uh, who found salvation in Luke 23:43, And said in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the first part is a little confusing, where he says teaching them. Um, because Jesus tells us previously, we're not to be called teachers, for one is our teacher to Christ, and we are all brethren. And so the rest of that part of that clause of verse of the verse makes it make sense. Teaching them what? To observe all things that I have commanded you. So you're not teaching them anything new. Only thing we're to teach people is the red letters. That's what the, we're supposed to show people, expose to people, share with people. That's it. Not any of the other stuff in the Bible, my opinion. Uh, but according to what Jesus says, what he has commanded, not what's in the Bible. Because remember, people will say, oh, the volume of the book. They'll say it 10 times and they'll, they must know that the book wasn't compiled when he, uh, Paul said the volume of the book or whoever else in the Bible said the volume of the book. The Bible wasn't compiled until the 1600s. So that was nearly 2,000 years ago. So when they were saying the volume of the book, they weren't talking about the Bible. The Bible hadn't been compiled yet. So they were referring loosely to Scripture, and the they weren't Jesus saying it. So it's one more example of keeping it straight, of knowing concerning the doctrine. And that's what the will of God is, to know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Somebody saying the volume of the book 10 times in the Bible or outside of it and saying that that's the Bible makes no sense. And when you see that it's not Jesus saying it, then you know it's not gospel. It's not Christianity. Put it in its lane, but don't call it Christianity. That would be my advice. 
And then the last part of verse 20 is the most comforting part, I think. And what I cling to in my Christian walk is that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. So like we read previously, where uh, it seems like where Jesus knew that he prophesied, he told the disciples that they were going to be scattered and leave him alone. And yet he's not really alone because the father is with them in the same way. I think that's what we have as Christians. We have the presence of God with us. We have the presence of Jesus with us. When we walk in these red letters, embrace them, share them, and live them as best we can. Um, I think we have that assurance, that blessed assurance, like the old hymn says, um, that Jesus is ours, that Jesus is with us, that we're not alone. So that's the passage of the day. That's the reading for the day. Thank you for joining me. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you. Oh, and I forgot to include the link to the movie reference for pre in the previous chapter. So look for it in this one, if you will. Thank you. Peace.